It's Friday, May 11th, and this is The Daily Dive. In a true diplomatic win for President Trump, he welcomed home three Americans who were held prisoner in North Korea. It was seen as a good faith move ahead of a historic meeting between the president and Kim Jong-un. We will speak with BuzzFeed World News reporter Mega Rajagopalan to find out more about the summit taking place in Singapore and more about what some are calling a made-for-TV diplomatic moment. We will also speak with Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today, about the latest Google I.O. conference. There they unveiled some new technologies that will make our lives a little easier. Google Duplex works with your digital assistant to make restaurant reservations or schedule a haircut appointment, and Gmail Smart Compose will finish your emails for you. This all stems from big strides made by the artificial intelligence teams at Google. Mark will let us know what these artificially intelligent digital assistants have in store for us. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. We very much appreciate that he allowed them to go before the meeting. It was sort of understood that we'd uh, be able to get these three terrific people during the meeting and bring them home after the meeting. But we're starting off on a new footing. This is a wonderful thing that he released the folks early. That was a big thing, very important to me. And I really think we have a very good chance of doing something very meaningful. Joining us now is Mega Raja Gopalan. She's a BuzzFeed World News reporter. The Trump administration had a pretty major victory getting these three detained Americans back on U.S. soil. What happened bringing them back? Basically, Secretary of State Pompeo went to North Korea, didn't promise they could get them back, although the, like the administration had sort of hinted for a period of a couple of weeks that it could be happening. As a result of that visit, the three hostages were basically released. I think it was pretty much widely interpreted as a show of goodwill by the North Koreans ahead of this planned summit between Trump and Kim. The North Koreans see American prisoners as kind of a bargaining chip. And they tend to release them based on the political wins between the two countries rather than based on any kind of legitimate judicial process. There's a lot of skepticism about this upcoming summit with the president and Kim Jong-un. But uh, this does signal some goodwill. I mean, it it seems like Kim Jong-un is willing to come to the table. Clearly, it's it's like a historic occasion. There's no, there's absolutely no question about that. I think the the thing that's made people nervous is not necessarily the existence of the summit, although there is an argument that it legitimizes the Kim regime, and it's something that the North Koreans have been seeking pretty much since the Clinton administration as a signal that they're a, a legitimate player on the world stage. There's sort of concern about the outcomes of the summit and whether the U.S. and North Korea are even really speaking the same language, whether when they refer to terms like denuclearization, they're talking about the same things, whether those kinds of discrepancies are going to damage the possibility for uh, a successful outcome. Well, I'm sure Mike Pompeo is trying to lay some of this groundwork. I mean, what, and also, you know, what a victory for him as well. It's a totally different personality from Rex Tillerson. Uh, Mike Pompeo just getting in there and able to pull this off. So, I mean, I'm sure he's laying some of this groundwork. Hopefully the U.S. and North Korea can be on similar terms when when the actual summit comes. 
That's definitely true. And that was, that was his second trip, I believe, in six weeks. So it's clear that they're, they're putting a lot of work into this. Generally, I think in previous administrations, there would have been a bit more like lag time and preparation time between the announcement of the summit and the summit actually taking place. Like we're talking about, I, I believe, June 12th now, which is really, really coming up. And um, if you think about the Trump administration, they put a lot of emphasis on their North Korea policy. But at the same time, in terms of appointing personnel, they've really lagged. I couldn't tell you what the reason for that is, but I know like in South Korea, for instance, they've gone without an ambassador for this long. And um, it basically means that the status of that relationship has either been on autopilot at the working level, or they've been searching for signals from the White House from outside of South Korea. All of those things have been kind of obstacles to not only preparing for this summit, but also kind of the development of the relationship. How has this news been received in South Korea and North Korea as well? North Korea is it's always interesting to look at the way their state media sees the U.S., North Korean state media, obviously, they're known for being pretty bombastic and suggesting that they're going to launch missile strikes on Guam, for instance. But they've taken on a much more muted tone, I think, since this thaw in relations between the U.S. and North Korea, as well as South Korea and North Korea. They took a pretty kind of favorable tone about the Pompeo visit, for instance, I think it shows that they're hoping that this summit is going to go well and they want to put on this kind of show of good faith ahead of the summit. Well, let's move a little bit on to the actual summit. They've set the yeah. date June 12th. It's going to be in Singapore. And yeah. Singapore is largely seen as a, a place beneficial to both countries. It's really interesting that they decide to hold it in Singapore. Singapore is kind of, if you think about it, it's, it's, it's a bit of a neutral site. It's a common port of call for American warships. The U.S. Navy actually has a logistics headquarters there. Singapore is also a country that has had pretty friendly diplomatic relations with North Korea. Even until 2016, North Koreans could actually visit Singapore visa-free. And there's, there's a number of like North Korean business activities there. North Koreans, like the really wealthy North Koreans, they even go to Singapore for medical treatment and stuff like that. All of this stuff was much to the chagrin of the U.S. back when the U.S. was trying to enforce sanctions on North Korea in a much more kind of aggressive way, I guess. It also means that Kim Jong-un can travel to Singapore without too many problems. So I, I think for all of those reasons, it's been deemed a favorable place for the summit. We're hoping for big things. This is going to be President Trump's new Iran deal. Just yeah. We just backed out of the other deal. But this is the new thing. I mean, if he can get any type of denuclearization stuff happening there in that peninsula, it's going to be yeah. another major win for the administration. It's a tough thing because the meaning of the term denuclearization, as we understand it, is complete and verifiable. And those two things, it's pretty hard to imagine the Kim government agreeing to do that. Because nuclear weapons, it had, like for so long, has been a source of not only North Korean national pride, but also their sense of, you know, a pathway to international legitimacy. And very probably the North Koreans see nuclear weapons as the only reason that this summit is even happening. And they're probably right about that. It's tough to see that the North Koreans would go as far as the U.S. would like them to go. So I think the question is, what do we call a success, right, when it comes to the summit? Is it complete denuclearization? Is it some kind of freeze in their weapons testing? And, you know, what are we, the Americans, prepared to give up 
to achieve those kinds of outcomes. Right. What sanctions are we going to modify that would let them do more business and and still try to keep them in containment? Another interesting thing that I think is going to come at us, President Trump has said Kim Jong-un wants to bring North Korea into the world, but we know that North Korea has a tight hold on the media and things that their citizens see there. So it would be another interesting angle to see what happens after the summit and if there is more openness with the media there and, and and really bringing North Korea into the world, joining more with South Korea. You know, that I think that's going to be a really interesting side effect of this whole thing. I think it could be an interesting side effect. I, I wouldn't really couple you know, economic liberalization with political liberalization. I guess that's just my perspective as somebody who is based in China. But I think those two things don't necessarily always go together. And China is a really good example of that. It's like a you know very, very restrictive media. I think the North Koreans are very conscious of that Chinese model, the way the Chinese have been able to maintain this very kind of authoritarian government, heavy controls on the internet, on the transmission of information, on civil society, on journalists, and still have managed to engage with the global economy, have become the world's second largest economy, and have undoubtedly achieved success in that respect. I wouldn't be surprised if the North Koreans really are in favor of engaging in an economic way um, with a higher number of countries. Obviously, they really, really want sanctions lifted. Probably that's one of the purposes. They probably want a bigger piece of the legitimate economy because they're sort of trapped in this this black economy now, um, you know, as as a result of sanctions and other things. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to loosen controls on their own people. Mega Rajagopalan, BuzzFeed World News reporter. Thank you very much for joining us today. Thanks so much. It turns out a big part of getting things done is making a phone call. We think AI can help with this problem. The amazing thing is the assistant can actually understand the nuances of conversation. We've been working on this technology for many years. It's called Google Duplex. It brings together all our investments over the years in natural language understanding, deep learning, text-to-speech. Joining us now is Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today and a lot of other outlets. Google had their Google I.O. conference earlier this week, and they came out with some really cool stuff. Gmail Smart Compose, which is going to help you finish all your emails for you. But this Google Duplex was really interesting. What can you tell us about it? I think the best way to explain what Duplex is, is to play this clip of a phone call to a restaurant in order to make reservations. Have a listen, Oscar, and then I'm going to tell you something pretty cool at the end of this. So why don't we play this? Good evening. Hello. Hello. Hi. Um, I'd like to reserve a table for Friday the 3rd. Okay, hold on one moment. Mm-hmm. Okay. Hold on one second. Mm-hmm. So Friday, November 3rd, how many people? For two people. Two people? Yeah. What time? At 5 p.m. Okay. And your name? The first name is Daniel. That's D-A-N-I-E-L. Okay. You're all set. Now get this. The dude calling the restaurant is not real. That's <laughs> really? a bot. Oh, my god! That is Google's AI, their artificial intelligence technology, which is pretty awesome, called Duplex. Creepy, but amazing. So you might have heard. There's um, ums and pauses. Uh, yeah. yeah. This is what's wild. Okay. So obviously the person at the restaurant, she is real. She works there. Obviously, she said some keywords like what time and how many 
people and what day and all that. So the, the artificial intelligence on the back end was able to process those words and then come up with a lifelike answer and then feed it back to her. Now, I don't know if she knew that he wasn't real or if this has been edited, but nevertheless, that stole the show this week, as you can imagine. So this was played on a stage in front of, you know, all the journalists that were there at Google IO, this annual conference. And it's just mind blowing if it's a glimpse of what's to come. Do we know how that voice is generated? I know with apps, you know, ways and whatnot, they have somebody in there recording the voice or like Siri is more of much more of a robotic type voice. Mm-hmm. Do they have somebody recording this or is this really yeah, just it, automatically generated? To me, it sounds like it's a real actor, if you will. And maybe they go through a session where they say all the words, like, you know, a few thousand of the most common words and di- with different inflection and different letters of the alphabet. And then it's all pieced together through that artificial intelligence and machine learning on the back end. Or it is getting so good now that these artificial personal assistants that are completely digitally synthesized can sound more like a human. So I don't know if it's either or. Also unveiled this week at Google I.O. were different voices that you can use for Google Assistant. There was five different ones unveiled or six in total, including John Legend. So if you want your Google Home, uh, (laughs) you know, to sound like John Legend, then you can do that. Now, those voices are powered by what's called WaveNet. It's an artificial intelligence based voice synthesizer created by Google UK, a a subsidiary of theirs called DeepMind. So those are synthesized. They must have recorded John Legend at some point or got it down to a science where this is his tone, this is his his sound. And then then the AI takes it from there. But it's a very polarizing thing this week with this um, duplex demo because some people are saying like, does this mean you, we don't have to interact with each other? Like that's disappointing. Have you seen the movie Her with Joaquin Phoenix and Scarlett Johansson? I'm reading through some of this and this is kind of what it struck me as, you know, you're never going to know if you're talking to somebody else's AI. We saw a couple of years ago, there was all this buzz around what we call chat bots. Like you're on Facebook Messenger or WhatsApp and a keyword is detected like flowers or anniversary or Mother's Day. So a bot, a chat bot, which is meant to type like a human, pipes in and says, hey, would you like me to deliver flowers to your partner? Just type in the address and what you'd like and your price range and I'll take care of it. But now we're having that added to voice. So now it's like interacting with an automated person. It's pretty, pretty remarkable. So that that really did steal the show this week. There was other news, as you teased, Oscar, about the Gmail. Uh, it's still AI based, still artificial right. intelligence. That was kind of new as so well. So what is that? It's called Gmail Smart Compose. And what they say is going to autocomplete whole emails for you? Yeah. So it's going to start off with sentences where the Smart Compose will detect what you're talking about. And it, it's meant to just expedite the message. So it's meant to just guess what you're about to write. So you can start, you know, if it's a Friday, for example, it may suggest ending off the email with a have a great weekend message because it knows that it's Friday. Smart Compose is going to detect what you're writing. It's going to suggest words and phrases that you may use. If you want to use it, you hit the tab button on your keyboard on the top left. If you don't like it, then you just type what you were going to write anyways. And you could see a bunch of videos online about it if you Google uh, Google, Google the word <laughs> right. Google smart, smart compose. You'll see some examples of it, including GIFs uh, of animated people writing into a Gmail application. So it is, it sounds like it's a lot smarter. It's kind of the evolution of what they've offered in the past or any kind of predictive keyboard. Apple's got one and Microsoft as well, but it seems a lot more intelligent. You are granting 
access to Google to, to let the powers that be there, maybe even just a machine, look at your, your messages and suggest what to complete. So you are giving them access to it for those privacy and security uh, right. freaks out there. But this is kind of where the trend is. This is what the future is. We're going to be relying on our home assistants, our Google Homes, our Alexas to do a lot of this stuff that we don't want to spend time doing. I mean, if we can right. get all this stuff to call the DMV or any government service where you're spending 20, 30 minutes on hold and these things can do it for you. I mean, that is pretty amazing. Last question on the uh, Google stuff. When is that available? When can we start playing around with this uh, Google duplex? We may see a duplex as early as the summer. It sounds a bit ambitious. We don't know if that's uh, been doctored at all to impress the crowd. I say that, by the way, because last year when Google unveiled Pixel Buds, which are the wireless earbuds that work with their Pixel smartphone, and they demoed this real-time translation service where... Oh, yes. I did see be, this yeah, video. That turned out to be a little bit not as fluid and, and uh, remarkable as it made it they made it look on stage. So I'm reserving my full opinion on duplex when I can test it in my own environment. And then for Smart Compose, it's going to actually start rolling out a lot sooner than that. Mid-May, it's going to start oh, uh, rolling out to uh, to customers that have Gmail. Again, it's only for computers, not for Gmail on smartphones or tablets just yet. Perfect. Mark Saltzman, tech columnist for USA Today. Thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure, Oscar. That's it for this week. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. The Daily Dive is produced by Miranda Moreno and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this was your Daily Dive. <laughs>